Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome along to the Power of the Game podcast with Golf Saudi. This episode's special guest is one of the game's greats, a European Ryder Cup legend and a winner of 44 tournaments during an illustrious professional career that has spanned the globe and began all the way back in 1993. Lee Westwood has captured the Race to Dubai title on four separate occasions, spanning 22 years between his first and most recent, and now captains the Majestics in the inaugural Live Golf Invitational Series. In this wide-ranging chat, we discuss the Open at St Andrews, achieving longevity in golf, Lee's impressions of golf in the kingdom, and his experiences over the past few months following his move to Live. Let's get into it. I got to start, Lee, by asking you how um, how that week at the old course was. I mean, I was riveted to it throughout the course of the weekend. What was it like playing at the 150th Open? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think everybody knows that the, the four majors are the four big special weeks of the year. Um, for me, the Open Championship is the biggest championship there is. Uh, I think being a British player... Um, that's probably most of our views. And I think when it's at St. Andrews, it's uh, it's just a little bit more special, you know, the home of golf. And uh, um, everybody likes that walk over the Swilkin Burn and the bridge, don't they? And, uh, and you know, the, the various other things that go along with playing Open Championships at St. Andrews. There, are, there has been chatter over the years about the old course potentially being obsolete in the modern game, but despite the fact that Cam Smith won with 20 under, which, which is obviously a tied record score in a major, it never felt like the old course was being, uh, was being bullied by the players, even though there are quite a few drivable par fours. It always felt like there was that kind of knife edge where you could easy, just as easily make a bogey in a, in a pivotal spot. Yeah, I think the r had set it up perfectly. You know, they've got the conditions almost that they wanted certainly the, the firmness of the golf course uh the condition it was in um they probably wanted just a little bit more wind which obviously they can't control um you know on the final day um you know it was it was pretty breathless all day um saturday wasn't particularly windy either um i think the trickiest part was probably when the wind changed um on friday um it was a little bit breezy thursday afternoon but um yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't ripped up. Um, I think the thing is with that golf course, you've got two par fives that you can reach and about four par fours that are drivable. So really, anybody on form, um, a big hitter, is really looking at sixty six as a par if you play if you play solidly. And um, I don't think there was anything lower than a sixty four shot. So uh, um, you know that was. I think they probably were quite pleased with that, that the lowest score was 64. When you see, Lee, that it's such an iconic venue. I mean, it has to be the most iconic in the world of golf. And there's always that conversation about, you know, could St Andrews become the permanent home of the Open? Where, where do you sit on that? Would, would that elevate that major championship if, like Augusta National and, and the Masters, there was a venue that it returned to year after year? Or, or are you a fan of, of the extensive rota that currently exists? I am a fan of moving it around. I think there's so many good links courses in the British Isles that uh, you know it'd be it'd be a shame to have it at the same venue every year. I think that's part of the charm of it that um, 
I mean, I mean, some people don't play St Andrews that well. That doesn't make you a bad links player. You know, you could win around your field or Birkdale or uh, Troon um, or, or Royal St George's. You know, Hoylake. You know, there's so many good links golf courses that I think it's fair that they all get a chance to host it. You know, it's uh, you, the crowds are great if you play it. You know, in Liverpool or um, Southport or St Andrews. I, th- I think the thing that is a shame for St Andrews is just the design of the golf course dictates that the spectators can only get down one side. They can't really get that close to you because um, each green kind of finishes in the middle and then you walk out to the next tee. So the closest they ever really get to any greens um, are, I guess, near the 16th green or, or near the 18th green. You know, it's the double greens kind of dictate that no Nobody's kind of around, uh, right on the green. So, uh, you know, the, the, we lose a little bit of atmosphere because of that, the players. But, uh, you know, the atmosphere is generally pretty good. And the pace of play obviously was highlighted um, because there's that much crisscrossing. So I think once every five years, I mean, um, I'd like to see it once every 10 years personally uh, wow. at St Andrews, but they've decided on once every five years and I, I'm all right with that. But uh, I think there are just so many great, great links called for us in the British Isles. Um, you know, we should try and use them all and move it around the, the, the British Isles. And as for the champion golfer, Cameron, uh, um, this has to go down. I'm thinking Jordan Spieth in 2015 and, and obviously Tiger in his pomp had, had years with the putter that were beyond belief. Um, this is one of those years for, for Cam Smith, isn't it? I mean, I know he won the players with, I think, a single putt on all but one of the back nine greens at, at Sawgrass. And he was at it again at the old course from God knows what sort of range quite a lot of the time. I know he had a cold day on Saturday with the putter, but it was a heck, yeah. it's been a heck of a showing from him this season. Yeah, for me, he's the best putter in the world, um, regardless of you know winning the Open Championship last week. Whenever I've watched him, he's an incredible putter. He was actually walking round with just a putter and a wedge when I played my practice round on uh, Monday evening when I got there, you know, playing a few pitches from certain places and rolling puts on greens. And I just, every time I walked past the green, he'd be kind of staying behind me and he was rolling them in from everywhere. And St Andrews, if the wind doesn't blow, then, you know, the great putters do come to the fore, especially because, you know, it isn't as demanding as, say, a Birkdale or a Muirfield or somewhere like that, tee to green. And, you know, if you can really get hot with the blade, you, you know, you know you're going to be in with a chance. So Cam was one of the obvious picks for me um, because his short game and his putting is so good. When we look at your career, Lee, I mean, obviously, besides all, all the success that you've had, your longevity is is remarkable. I mean, 10 Ryder Cups, four race to Dubai titles is 11. I beg your pardon. Four, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've missed one out. 11, four race to Dubai's. Uh, across a span of 22 years. Um, what do you attribute that longevity to? And, and as the game has changed, I mean, the guys like Cam Young, who are who are now averaging a near 200-mile-an-hour ball speed off the tee, the game has changed so much since you first turned pro in the 90s. How have you stayed at the kind of, you know, uh, the peak of that curve, if you like, and, and continued to adapt? Uh, you mean other than turning myself into the fantastic <laughs> athletic specimen Physical you see specimen. before your eyes? That's it, exactly. Other than that, <laughs> um, I think it's just a love for love for the game, a love for playing the game, and and a love for going and working hard away from tournaments. You know, on on the range, uh, in the gym, things like that. You know, you've got to keep yourself in shape nowadays. You've got to be strong, 
Um, but you also got to love going and practicing and working hard. You don't you don't stay at a high level at any sport without working hard. Um, you know the the hard workers are always the best players. So uh, yeah, golf's slightly different that you can play well to a, to a later age. You know, in any other sport, I'd probably be retired now. But uh, you know, I'm 50 next April, and uh, you know, still capable of playing in big events like the Open and uh, and making a good show. So I, I think as long as you love it and mentally you're not fried and mentally you've got the desire to keep working then you know why shouldn't you i suppose the, the there's a, it's a double-edged sword with the longevity aspect that golf offers players because we see i think more than in other sports players have this purple patch and then fall into obscurity very rapidly and and, and never reappear and I don't know whether you, you've ever felt in your own career that you, you've been on a precipice of, of really struggling to get back to the level that you've been used to playing at. But why is that in golf? Uh, because it, it seems to have a more fickle kind of um, uh, sort of relationship with, with, with form, if you like, uh, than other sports that, that tend to see established stars kind of stay where they're at until the end of their careers. Yeah, I mean, I've had a slump in my career um you know i've had times where i haven't played so well you've got to have a lot of uh, inner strength and faith in yourself at those stages i think a lot of people don't deal with success well um either it's too much for them and you know they don't feel comfortable getting to the very highest level i got to world number one and it was it was surprising the change in kind of attitude i saw in myself where i didn't want to give that spot up yeah i knew everybody was coming for it um, it's a, it's kind of like leading a golf tournament where everybody's chasing after you is a lot harder than when you're doing the chasing. You know, the lifestyle can get to a lot of people. There's a lot of, a lot of time away from home. Um, it can, there's a lot of contributing factors to remaining at a, a, an elite level. I think one of the interesting things about golf is it's so many different facets. You know, if you're, a say, a, a footballer, uh, um, you generally, you, you don't lose the ability to kick a football. So you just got to keep yourself in shape. You got to keep your weight to a, and your fitness to a certain level. Uh, in golf, um, you know, you've got to, you've different facets to work on. You, you know, you, you swing, uh, you short game, you put in your mental side of it, keep yourself fit. So, you know, there's lots of different facets to staying at the top of, of, of the golf ladder. Um, and that takes up a lot of time. You know, you lose a lot of hours in your day. So, uh, you know, the, the dedication, I think, has to be uh, there all the time, really. You can't afford to let your guard down. And I guess there's always that temptation to to tinker with your swing. I guess in no other sport you see, you've never seen Roger Federer change his backhand in tennis, but you see golfers, I know famously Martin Keimer tried to change the, the fundamental natural swing that he had that, that was a fade swing. To, to try and play Augusta better. Uh, he went on record to say that, and, and that set him back. Yeah, yeah, that's just for one week of the year. So, you know, it's a it's an interesting take on, you know, trying to, to, to change everything, really, isn't it? So the temptation is always there to change things and tinker with things. To People talk about getting to another level. You know, I, I, I'm not a massive believer in that. You know, you get, you get good, and then you just fine-tune everything, I think. Um, you know, you shouldn't make too many drastic changes. The thing about golf and playing great golf is it's quite boring. You've got to do the same things over and over again to maintain the consistency. So, you know, I've never been one for changing my golf clubs or changing my golf ball or anything like that because I like to keep all the variables down to a minimum. If I know I haven't changed them, then it's probably me or the way I'm, you know, swinging the club or I might need to work on my short game or I might need to work on my putting harder. Um, but it's, 
it's a golf's very much a, a game of constant tinkering and just you stray away from that. There's a, there's a path straight down the middle and you stray away from it and then you've got to drag yourself back onto it. Um, a lot of people go down side alleys and get stuck down them and, and turn it into something that it that it isn't, turn it into a problem that it isn't and go looking for things and searching for things and then they get stuck in the in the wilderness. The modern professional athlete, um, I know Rory was talking about it over the weekend, talks about the process a lot. And is that perhaps why golfers, when they win, sort of struggle a little bit in the aftermath because because of a, a mountaintop has been scaled and there has to be a reset to, to re-motivate. And it's very rare that you see a golfer that kind of can, can, can knock off wins. You know, Tiger did it in, in his pomp, but it's difficult, isn't it, to, to string wins together and... Is that for, is that therefore a balance that you've got to strike, an equilibrium that you've got to find? Yeah, you've also you've always got to have achievable goals, or you're always going to be disappointed. You know, as golfers, I've won 44 tournaments in my career and played probably 800 events. I've won five percent of the time. So if I base my uh, confidence around winning golf tournaments, I would be uh, very down most of the time. So it's difficult for somebody like Rory, who's if he listens to too many opinions. Uh, saying he's not won a major for eight years. Now, he's finished top eight in every major championship this year. He's given himself a good chance in a, in a couple of them. Um, you know, getting yourself in there, it, you know, is success. Winning them, you need a lot of things to go in your favour. You could play brilliant golf that week and, it, and somebody just play better or have a bit more luck or hold a few more putts. You know, it's a bit like what happened at the weekend. You know, he obviously played very solid McTee to green, so I believe, just didn't make any putts. Cam made a load of putts, so you know it's golf. Golf's very strange, and you, and you have got to put all the outside noise out and just stay very much with you know what you feel is right and your your, your own ideas, really. Look, looking at this part of the world, Lee, here in Dubai, obviously two huge moments for you have, have come in your career. Back in two thousand and nine, at the inaugural. DP World Tour Championship, which, which was a win that would kind of, it was a dominant win, as I remember, that uh, propelled you to the world number one ranking the following year. And then your fourth race to Dubai trophy uh, a decade later uh, in, 20, in 2020. How, how significant has this part of the world been for you personally and your kind of take on it in, in where it fits in the professional game? Well, it, it's very, very high up there. I mean, you know, it's a, uh a very popular place for players to come and play golf, uh, amateur and professional. You have some massive tournaments there. You know, I'm thinking of in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, I first came to uh, Dubai in 1994. I think it was my second tournament on tour and it's changed an awful lot yeah. since then. But the, the, the rate of growth there and in the Middle East in general is, is incredible. And I'm, guessing i don't know the facts but i'm guessing it's very high up on uh, you know destinations for people to go on golfing holidays now because the the options are so great you know to come and play golf somewhere like dubai you, you know the, at one point there were only two or three golf courses now i don't know how many you could be able to tell me better how many there are I think there's um, 11, 11 in dubai i think but i think it just it punches so far above its weight doesn't it because it, it bookends the the dp world yes. tour season yeah yeah uh, we start the season there and finish the season there so um, you know, it's a, I, I love coming there. The weather's always very reliable. The golf courses are in great condition. Um, you know, there's knowledgeable fans there. Um, you know, it's a good place to come play golf. 
Saudi Arabia, of course, came onto the map. Uh, I think the first one was 2019, the Saudi International. I mean, you've come to Dubai, to the region, as you say, since 1994. Uh, I've lived here for 17 years. I could never have envisaged Saudi hosting a golf tournament once upon a time, even as recently as sort of five or six years ago. Did it take the world of golf and you as players by surprise as well when that happened? And, and did the experience of playing in Saudi confound your expectations? Yeah, I think uh, it took a lot of people by surprise. You know, they're, they're obviously trying to make change very fast, as a lot of places in uh, the Middle East have. You know, the, the change uh, in Dubai, the speed of change there has been incredible. In Qatar, as in, in Abu Dhabi, it's been amazingly fast. So, you know, I think Saudi Arabia have looked at these places and, and thought, yeah, well, that, that could be us. So uh, they're obviously putting a lot of money into it and, um, you know, facilities they're looking at improving them all the time building more golf courses and uh, and trying to make change so you know the european tour took an event there in 2019 got a great field and went back the next couple of years there was a tournament there last year that we all went and played in there was great fields and it gets publicity worldwide so uh, um you know it's an exciting time for golf in the middle east i think what is your kind of overall take, Lee, on, on you know, Saudi's investment in sport? You, you've got, obviously, the F1 race in Jeddah. Jo- Anthony Joshua's um, having his rematch against Usyk in, in the boxing. Again, I think it's in Jeddah as well. Uh, football with, with Newcastle United. You've got you've had tennis events there. And then the Aramco team series in ladies golf, which has been going on for a couple of years, has done massive work to support you know, the ladies European tour and in many ways it's underpinned the sort of financial future for that tour. And then of course the live series, which, which I don't think I'm exaggerating to say has been, been easily the most controversial involvement from Saudi side in, in international sport. I mean, what, what, when you look at that overall puzzle, what's, what's your sort of general assessment of it? Well, they're obviously keen on investing in sport, aren't they? And, And changing the way that people view Saudi Arabia, people outside of Saudi Arabia, feel especially with the live feel as a threat to their businesses so it's all it's all money related at the end of the day um you know people for a long time uh certain tours you know have been in a a position where they haven't really had any threats and and competition and now somebody's come along to shake them up and um you know be competitors to them and they've become very protective about it but like you say you know there's formula one there and obviously um, I'm sat in Newcastle, you know, there's investment in Newcastle United from, from the PIF, you know, like you said, Anthony Joshua has had more than one fight and he's got one coming up in Saudi. So, um, it just seems like golf's being treated a little bit differently to all these other sports, which, uh, I don't think is particularly fair. Well, yeah, I, I obviously I, I was, it's been a, a bit of a soap opera as, as a golf fan, kind of watching it all unfold, um, you know, watching the, the various press conferences and, and the angle, the, the, the narrative that the sort of media has adopted on it. I mean, you won't really find a negative article <laughs> online about the Aramco team series on the L.E.T., Mm. which sort of begs the question as, as to why, if, if that's fundamentally doing, you know, a, a version of what Live Golf is doing. What, what's it been like for, for you, though, Lee, to kind of weather that, that sort of storm of, of criticism? Because golf is not a sport that is accustomed to, to negative press, is it? No, I mean, I've been around the, the block and I've been out here long enough to know that people pick and choose their narratives um, you know, the, the, the media, the press, they very much write what they want people to read and believe. So, you know, you just have to accept that. And we we just have to go out and try and make, you know, the Live Series 
the best it can be and, you know, let people see how, how good it's going to be and how it can change the game. I think right from the start, Luke came in and said they wanted to be part of the ecosystem. It's documented. It's on all the minutes of all the meetings that they've had, um, you know, made it very clear they want to be part of the ecosystem and, you know, run alongside uh, the other tours and not get in the way of the other tours, big events and allow players to, you know, play more than one tour. And, you know, immediately the other tours got very defensive. I don't know whether it was that they didn't take them seriously uh, at first, but um, you're sure, they're sure are taking them seriously now, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, obviously the, the narrative I've just mentioned is kind of well-worn, um, but but you, you know, there's a difference between what you read, I guess, in the papers that we all have to accept and, and the reality of the tournaments. You've now had a chance to play in two of them, at the Centurion in, in St. Albans and then over in Oregon as well. Um, I'm keen to know because I, obviously I've I've enjoyed watching them and and they've been they've been different for sure the way they look there's a whole different kind of branding around uh, around live which which I think is interesting but how have they been for you to compete in as a player what have been the key differences would you say Well I've enjoyed the different format you know I've enjoyed the shotgun start uh, which eliminates you know other issues with regards to fairness of draws and things like that um, I've enjoyed the 54 hole format. It's a lot quicker. Um, you know, you know, you need to come out the the blocks quick and, you know, try and make as many birdies as you can. I've enjoyed the team element of it very much, you know, on, on the final day, you know, when it's three scores to count instead of two, two is, is great over the first two days, but when it's three scores to count on the final day, it can get very volatile and it's exciting. It's good for the fans to watch, you know, the TV coverage on YouTube or, or Liv's uh, website. I've heard nothing but good comments for that, but where there's been, fewer uh, commercials and and more golf shots being seen so uh yeah it's it's got a good buzz about it you know it's a uh, there's lots of loud music being played out there it's you know it's got a it, it feels like it'll appeal more to the younger generation and i know they've they've invited a couple of the sort of golf youtubers along i i'm i'm aware although i'm i'm not sure on the legalities but but obviously with the pga tour you don't see that kind of content being produced because of the media rights where you know a youtuber can go and film you guys in practice and i think golf fans enjoy seeing that because it's a, it's a kind of behind the scenes if you like as to how you go about preparing for a tournament up close, the ball fly, all this sort of stuff that you're kind of your golf geeks kind of really enjoy. And uh, I've mm. seen a lot of positive feedback from that. Is that has there been a more relaxed kind of ambiance at the at the tournament throughout? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I like seeing that. You know, I I, I tune in to watch the Formula One, but I, I I was only turned on by it by watching the Drive to Survive stuff on Netflix, where I get to see behind the scenes you know, how people really are and what's, you know, going on away from races and things like that. And, you know, that's what they're trying to do in golf. You know, they're trying to um, let people see the other side to us. You know, people can turn on a te television and we'll be in a shot and the commentator will go, is it five iron into the screen? He's got 200 yards. You know, we've seen that a lot for a long time now. You know, we see a lot of 72 old tournaments. Um, you know, it's the same thing week in, week out. And I think people just get bored with that. So, you know, it's nice outside of the major championships and, you know, a few other big events to see a different format and to see the YouTubers doing stuff and, you know, making it fun and seeing, bringing out our characters and seeing a different side of us. 
You're you're the captain of it's it's the logo that's sitting proudly on your cap, Lee. You're the the, the captain of the Majestics with with obviously Ian, Sam, and Laurie under your wing. Um, how would you describe your captaincy style thus far, two events in, and and are you a pep talk <laughs> man? Well, Ian was the captain first time round, um, and we finished third at Centurion, and I I was the captain last time round at in Portland. We finished I think eighth. So I've got to up my game on the captaincy stakes. <laughs> okay. uh, um, I think I'm a, I'm a fairly relaxed captain. We, we we play individual stuff, don't we, most weeks, week in, week out. So, uh, you know, the other guys know what to do. And uh, I think I think if, if we win, then I will be delighted to go up there and hold the trophy aloft um, and and make the speech. I think that's where my, uh, my captaincy forte is going to come in. <laughs> in terms of going forward, Lee, like... You know, I, it struck me that we don't see the team members playing in the same groups. Is there yeah. a reason for that? Because it would be nice to see the sort of Ryder Cup style high fives, fist bumps, that kind of thing that sort of generates that atmosphere that you do see at the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Um, is that something that could be worked in going forward? Do you know? Well, I think it's just down to the draw, what scores people are on to, to see whether they're going to be playing together. But there was, you know, there was a bit of... Uh, team energy around the final green in Portland when uh, when the the um, Spanish team or Latin American team, um, you know, somebody older put on the last and a few people got excited. So um, I'm sure that'll come in the, the more it, it goes on. Obviously, we've only we've, we've still only played two events. It's very, amazing. Very much in the early stages. Um, I think it's been an unbelievable success to say how early, how early, how it, much in its infancy it is. Um, you know, it's it's certainly created a buzz. You know, it seems to be yeah, outside the major championships. You know, people were talking about the Open Championship last week, but as soon as the Open Championship was over, bang, straight back to live. So it's created a lot of media interest, that's for sure. And in terms of its greatest asset, Lee, from, from an entertainment point of view, for, for us, the viewers at home, in your opinion, what is that? Is it the franchise teams? Is it the format? Is it the fact that... I've I've always thought that knowing the fields in advance gives something like Formula One, for example, where you know exactly Lewis Hamilton isn't skipping a race. Um, you know, you guys being out there and, and knowing which events you're going to play in, we don't often get that in golf. And I think that's a big plus point for Liv. But from your own point of view, what, what is the kind of the biggest asset, if you like? I think its biggest asset is how different it is. Um, you know, the... the the team format is obviously very different and great. The 54 hole format, the shotgun start format, obviously massive prize purses as well, bigger than any others in the game. So, you know, there's a, certainly a lot of things going for it. I think, you know, people are excited and energized by, you know, how different it all is. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's exciting. It's making golf exciting. What, what do you see the future for Live being, Lee, in, in a couple of years' time? Where, where are we going to be at? And maybe there are things you can't divulge, but obviously more players we know are moving in on board and joining Live. Uh, are we going to see teams based around nationalities that we've already started to see? Are, are we going to see uh, perhaps more branding, more logoed kind of... I hate to use a sort of NFL comparison or, or an American franchise sport comparison, but is that the way it's kind of gradually moving towards? Yeah, I think we'll see, you know, a greater team element, sort of a franchise element. I think you'll see more franchise team sponsorships, you know, where, where the guys are maybe wearing the same colours and they've got the same 
sponsorship on them. Um, you know, more of a Formula One style, I guess, in golf. But certainly, uh, you know, you'll see a lot more uh, the, the fields just getting stronger and stronger. Is this golf's kind of T20 or, or even Formula One? Is, is that is that a, a bit of a clumsy comparison or is that fair? I mean, we've seen T20. I, I remember when, when it first came along, the BCCI, which obviously is the Indian Cricket Board, vehemently objected to T20. And now they've got the IPL, which is the biggest cash cow in, in cricket. Um, so t- times have changed. Sentiments have changed as well. Is, is Liv going to do for golf what T20 did for cricket? Definitely. Um, you know, I think there's room outside of the major tournaments, uh, you know, the big tournaments on the other tours for Liv to be, you know, in there and be the T20, um, you know, exciting fireworks, uh, loud music. Um, it's a shame that, you know, there's been such a huge opposition to it so early um, when, you know, they, they clearly wanted to coexist in the ecosystem. You know, Liv's been blamed for a lot of things where, you know, it's uh, it's the other tours and the other organisations that's uh, creating the resistance and the and, and the anger there. Obviously, the news that Henrik is is uh, is no longer the Ryder Cup captain of, of Team Europe. It's, it's another big developing story and, and the announcement about his move to live. At what point do, do golf's power brokers need to get together, Lee? Because we, we don't want this to to kind of damage the sport at the top level, the professional level. An event like the Ryder Cup, you know, we don't we don't want to see schisms in the game that, that damages that tournament, do we? No, very much so. I think uh, that moment was probably a few months ago, wasn't it? Um, but some people don't want to sit down. So, you know, that is unfortunate. But the last thing everybody, you know, wants to see, you know, the major championships and the Ryder Cup, um, you know, suffer. You know, it was a, it's been a very quick reaction. Um, by Ryder Cup Europe and the and the European Tour, I, I I was a little bit surprised they made the decision so fast. Um, you know, because one thing it will do is it'll it'll weaken uh, the European team, and a weakened European team, um, you want in, for the Ryder Cup, you want the strongest team as possible. So, um, you know, to take on the Americans, you saw how strong they were the last time round. Um, but who's to say that, you know, Ryder the, the US. Ryder Cup team won't be weakened as well, depending on their decisions that they make. So, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of things still to be decided, um, you know, and a lot of um, questions to be answered, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously the fact that yourself, 11 Ryder Cups, as, as you just corrected me, and, and Ian, of course, is a, a legend of the of the competition. Sergio as well, uh, Graham McDowell, uh, and now Henrik. Um, and then uh, you mentioned on the American side, you've got players that have, have performed and, br- and brilliantly so in Dustin Johnson and others. Is there still time, do you think, to, to get together and, and iron things out ahead of, ahead of Rome? Um, you know, the next Ryder Cup and, and to, to come to some sort of resolution? Because I would imagine all the players want that. Yeah, I think all the players do want that, but it's got to be happen quickly. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't see it happening quickly. I think the European Tour joining forces with the PGA Tour has provided a, a huge stumbling block. You know, it's, it's created a, a greater obstruction to people getting around a table. All that appears to have done to me is, you know, created a, a greater monopoly. Um, and I don't think that's any way to go into any type of conversations and negotiations. So uh, I don't, 
it's for other people to figure out um you know not me has it kind of um have you been sort of it hurt in some ways lee that uh you know this this kind of very kind of you could call it aggressive or or a strong reaction if you like um has come out from the kind of the, the top sort of authorities in the game to to sort of um you know when you guys have given your careers to an event like the Ryder Cup and you've played in so many and you're legends of the event it's uh you know it, there's there's something sad about that fundamentally that um that there's this impasse currently existing well i knew there'd be opposition to it obviously and you know you don't know where people are going to go with it so um i'm i I'm mainly just disappointed with the the route that the European Tour have taken. You know, the the PGA Tour have done everything within their power for the last 30 years to um, trample all over the other tours around the world. Um, you know, they've they've had no thought to other tours. You know, they've put tournaments on, moved tournaments around with no regard to other tours, and especially the European Tour. And then all of a sudden, they're our our best friend. You know, Keith's done this uh, merger, if you want to call it. Keep saying we're not a feeder tour, but we give, we're going to be giving our ten best players from the European tour to the PGA tour over the next few years. You know, so we are a feeder tour now for the PGA tour. Um, you know, and that's decisions that have been made by the people high up. Um, I happen to disagree with them completely, and I've told everybody. You know, I've told Keith and and people at the European tour exactly what I feel, and uh, you know that's all I could do. And they've gone the opposite way, so I made their bed. Lee, I, like I, I, yeah, I want to. I want to just bring things back just to Saudi before I let you go, and I, I really appreciate you sparing the time to chat to us. Just, just a couple more questions for you, because I guess golf Saudi and, and Live are, are two very separate entities, and and maybe one of the stories that's gotten lost in all, in all of this is is golf Saudi's investment into the game at a grassroots level. And if I can throw some stats at you, in 2018, I don't believe there were any uh, Saudi nationals working in the golf industry. Uh, I can tell you now that there's 85 Saudis employed in the golf industry as things stand. And uh, in terms of the number of participants in golf in Saudi Arabia, there were a handful back in 2018. There's now been over 3,000 students in the space of just four months that took part in events in Riyadh and Dirab Golf Club as well at the turn of the year. Um, I, I believe it's unprecedented for an emerging market such as this to build a pyramid as extensively and to pump this much of investment into the game that we're witnessing here with golf Saudi. What, what as a, as a man that wants to see golf thrive in all corners of the globe, what do you make of that? Kyle would be impressed. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an emerging market, isn't it? And, uh, you know, not, not to mention all the investment in the ladies game as well. Uh, I think the, I think probably the largest investor in the ladies game, you know, they, I think they've kept, kept the, the ladies you European tour afloat through COVID and, you know, going forward. So uh, I think a lot of that gets lost, um, you know, and, and we're really just told what, we're, what we think we should hear a lot of the time. But um, I think the, the truth, you know, and the real facts and stats will come out over the next few years. It's certainly great for, it's a great start to, you know, building, uh, you know, or, or finding new golfers in that part of the world. And there's been a few Arab players who've, who've obviously gained invites to play in events across the Middle East. And, and there are a few very good Saudi players, but, but none of the level that would be able to sustain a, a card on one of the top tours. How crucial is it, Lee, for, 
for that breakthrough to happen to kind of really invigorate um, kind of growth in the game and, and to inspire kids? Is it is that something that's important or can that be done internationally, if you like? It just comes with more more investment. Um, you know, having tournaments in these parts in, the, in those parts of the world. You know, doing doing stuff with uh, you know local people and getting them involved, and and that that's the way to you know find the find the new stu- superstars, and uh, um, that's the best way to do it in my experience. Uh, just to, to wrap things up, Lee, in terms of the rest of your year and, and your schedule, of course, there's. Um live events um we're going back to Jeddah in october which is going to be exciting that's the penultimate event before the finale in uh, in miami um excited by the remainder of the schedule and, and how are you feeling heading into the remainder of this inaugural series yeah obviously really excited um you know each week on the in the live series seems like a big week and the targets for for yourself and the majestics come the end of the season well, to, to at least win one of these, um, <laughs> you know, put some good scores together, get an individual win and, uh, and get a team win. Well, Lee, it's, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. I really appreciate the time. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've really enjoyed watching you guys over at Live Golf. Uh, I do think it's been in many ways a breath of fresh air. And um, we really appreciate your support of Golf Saudi as well and what they're trying to do with their, their programme. So, uh, Lee, I'll let you go. But th- thank you so much for sparing the time to chat to us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Cheers, Lee. Thank you.